So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Welcome to June. June 1st, 2021, we are ready to give you one of those special episodes where we go through and we highlight all of our May episodes. You can listen to just a few minutes of every episode and every interview that I did and see which ones you might want to go back to and listen to the rest of. So buckle up, next 30, 35 minutes, you're going to learn a ton of stuff from a ton of different people and you're going to get to figure out if any of them are ones that you want to go dive into again. First up, our first episode of May was episode 971, Learn the Language of Real Estate from Jazz Packer. Looking back now, so now you're doing just gazillions of transactions. What do you wish you would have known when you first started as an agent? Look, I think I, think I would have joined a, a team right away. So the biggest advice I give to people who are starting out is don't even screw around. Like get on a team, get on a team, find somebody who's doing this at a high level and get them their coffee. Because if you're the person who's getting the coffee, you're going you're gonna to be part of the conversations they're having. Bring value. When I say get them their coffee, what I'm really trying to say is like, do whatever needs to get done. Because I've seen the flip side of that as well now. Like, there's so many people around me that that just want to like, hey, Jazz, can 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 we get lunch? Hey, Jazz, can we can we can we go get the stuff from the printer? What? Why? Because then they're sitting here, they're listening to phone calls, they're listening, they're actually sitting in on meetings, they're in it. Like the best way to learn a new language, if you wanted to learn how to speak Spanish, go to El Salvador. Like, yeah. Not to throw a stone at Rosetta, you know what I'm saying? But like, like <laughs> it's 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 one thing. It's one thing to pick up something online, but it's a totally different other thing because sales is a different language. And then to to break that down, real estate sales is a different language. You need to know all the contract stuff, but you also need to know what to say when somebody's sitting in front of you. And so the best way to do that is to immerse yourself. That's great advice for somebody starting at any point in their career. Right. And whether it's real estate or anything else, I think it's and I love the I love the analogy to immersion. I've never heard that. And I'm going to apply that so many times as I try to teach people. How did you go from five or 10 or 20 a year to five, six, seven hundred a year? Was there a transition point? Was there a big moment? Because there's a lot of our listeners that are doing 20 or 30 transactions a year. How what advice would you give them to get to like the whole next level? To answer your question. What took me from doing X amount of deals to Y to what we're doing now? It was content creation. So I try to produce 20 to 23 pieces of content a day on all the platforms because the best, the best compliment I get is like, dude, I see you everywhere. Well, it's better than not seeing me anywhere, right? So first job is getting someone's awareness. And then making sure you have something good to say, which from my opinion, I like to educate people on the process. I also don't think that you should all make it all real estate, your content. Let people get to know you a little bit more. You can choose what to be to be private or not. My 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 wife and, and my two kids very rare can use like, I don't know if you've ever seen my kids on social. We just made a decision. Not that we're right or wrong, but 
that was our decision. We don't want them out on social. We're going to let them decide if they want to do it. But again, you're okay with that? Put your kids out. Show your kids. Show your pets. Show you. Show the fact that you love the Dallas Cowboys. You know how many connections I made with people because I'm a Cowboys fan? And yeah. it's cool because even if they're Eagle fans, and we hate them, but they, 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 they <laughs> we can still get... <laughs> you caught that. Good job. Uh, it's okay. Like, like we still get into conversations and the coolest thing being a real estate agent is that everyone's talking about, it. I think it's the most visited uh, uh, content on, on the internet. And so content production was by far the biggest game changer. Yeah. So that was a clip of Jazz's episode. That episode had so many downloads. So many people went to it. If you missed it, it's definitely one that you want to go back and listen to the rest of Again, that was episode 971. Next up is State of the Market 72. Is a wave of foreclosures about to hit the market? This was my interview with the Vice President of Auction.com, Darren Blomquist. Do you think there's a shadow inventory of foreclosures that are that are growing out there? I know they also have equity. They're selling. What are your thoughts about some like a shadow inventory of foreclosures that should have foreclosed on? Yeah, I think I think there is a shadow inventory. It's not as maybe as scary as we initially thought it was going to be, or maybe some people thought it was initially going to be. At the beginning of the pandemic, nobody knew exactly how things would turn out. There, I mean, even if you put aside the economic shock from the pandemic, which did drive huge jumps in unemployment, which then unemployment is a huge driver, is typically the number one driver of foreclosures. But even if you put that aside and assume, okay, because of all the stimulus, those folks who got in trouble are going to be saved <laughs> somehow. Because it was, you know, it has in hindsight now, it's, it was a fairly short lived shock. I mean, we're still, we're not out of it completely for sure, but it was a short lived shock. But putting that aside, just looking at the deficit of foreclosures that would have happened in kind of a normal healthy market that were delayed because of the, the blanket nature of some of this, the protections that were put out there, like the moratorium and the forbearance, it was very low bar in terms of qualifying for that. So if you take that into account, we definitely have a shadow inventory. I mean, in, in 2019, before the pandemic, we saw almost 250,000 properties brought to foreclosure auction uh, nationwide, not just auction.com, that's the market. And then in 2020, it's looking like it's going to be more like, not all the public record data is in, but it's going to be more like 125,000. And so you have a deficit there of, of over a hundred thousand uh, foreclosures that would have happened in a normal healthy market that didn't. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of how I'm looking at the, um, the shadow inventory at, at the lowest threshold of even if the shock doesn't add any foreclosures to the mix. Yeah. You, you've, you've shared with me kind of your distressed market outlook. There's articles out there saying the housing market is bubbling. And now we've kind of hit our peak and last month, months of inventory is starting to go up. There's others saying we've got so much runway left. This is not a bubble because we're still at historically low months of inventory. How are you feeling about that? Or what data are you seeing if you're going to make a bet? Yeah. Well, if I was going to make a bet, I would say we've still got runway left. But I think um, my best guess is we are certainly in the early innings of a housing bubble. And if, you know, the, the psychology of <laughs> markets is they do tend to <laughs> overdo things. 
-hmm. And so if this, if that continues, then we will be in a full fledged bubble at some point. And that, you know, bubble of course is kind of a vague word, but basically meaning prices are overinflated and, um, and there's, there's some, there's some correction that's going to happen after that. So I would say we still have runway, but we are in the early stages of, of a bubble forming. And, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of data that suggests there's, there's just so much demand out there in terms of the demographics. And then on the, uh, on the other side, the, the lack of supply. And so there's, there's certainly more runway, I think, in this, this housing boom left. All right. And if you want to go listen to more of that, you can see it on our YouTube page too. We'll see all the charts that Darren did during that interview. State of the market 72. Next up, state of the market 73. First half of my interview with David Green this month. You guys have heard David on here multiple times. We were talking a lot about working class America's last shot at home ownership. Here's Bigger Pockets, David Green. They've talked about doing a new home buyer stimulus again. I remember when they did it back in 2009 or 2010, somewhere in there. Yeah. Where if you bought a new house, they'd be like, hey. It's like 7,500 bucks, I think I got yeah. back when I did it. Yeah, 7,500 bucks. You buy the house and when you file your taxes, you get 7,500 bucks back. And then they made it to where when you buy a house, we'll actually give you the check for 7,500 next week. Hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll pay you your tax credit early. And that brought more buyers to the table. What impact, if any, do you think that would have to the housing market right now? Do we need more buyers coming into the housing market right now? Yeah. I mean, it shows the Fed is, the government is trying to do something to put money in people's pockets. They're just very out of touch with the best way to do that. Because I think we don't need more buyers. Most people want to buy a house. What we need is more houses for people to buy. Yeah. I think I think you were spot on. And the I had Darren Bloomquist, the v- vice president of auction.com. Yeah. So the, that was the same thing he said, too. So that's such it's so out of touch. Before when we did it, we needed more buyers because the market was still falling and people were scared to buy a home. You need to incentivize them and say, hey, buy a home now, even though prices are going down, because we're going to give you a tax credit. Mm-hmm. But we don't need to help more. All that'll do is 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 you know, raise no, if anything, they should say we're going to get rid of capital gains taxes for people that are selling real estate specifically because we want more real estate to hit the market. Uh, but what we see is the opposite. They're going to raise capital gains taxes. So now if you have real estate, you were going to sell, but you're going to get higher taxes. Maybe you don't. That creates more of a shortage in inventory. Dude, that is brilliant. Yes. What if they just said no, no capital gains tax anymore? Any house you sell right now is tax free. Then yeah, they can tax like uh, art and stocks and, and other things, but real estate specific, we're going to ease it up there. Yeah, you, re- you, you ease it up on real estate. All of a sudden, you will no longer have a supply problem because mm-hmm. home builders aren't going to catch up. They aren't going to be able to build 15 million in houses in the next two or three years to make up for the downfall from the last 10, mm-hmm. especially now with, you know, with all the prices going up. If they develop a way to 3D print a house, I see maybe that could have some impact on this market. Mm-hmm. But even then... Where are you going to build those houses? It's not in most big cities. They're built out. There's not a whole lot of vacant lots. They can just throw up 3D printed houses. So my guess is real estate prices for the future are just not going to go down. They're going to go up even faster. And so I I love talking about this because there's this big debate of, well, is there a crash coming or is it going to, it can't be sustainable. And I'd say, no, this can be sustainable. If we keep printing money and we keep interest rates low and other industries like healthcare, that's not going away. We need healthcare workers more than ever with what's happening with this pandemic and uh, the tech world. They just keep on doing better and better and better. 
housing's going to just keep getting more expensive. And I'm telling a lot of my clients, look, you need to look at this. Like if you don't get in now, you, when it's uncomfortable, you might not be able to get in ever. There is a sector, I think, of blue collar workers, teachers um, in most areas, like first responders, um, the employees that work at like AutoZone or something that could typically get a starter house that are looking at a future where you cannot buy a house at the income level that they're making. That's what scares me about like what we're doing right now. Real Estate Rockstars, this is a commercial break from our biggest podcast sponsor we have right now, Rent Ready. It can be fun getting a new real estate deal, but it can be tough managing your properties after the fact, especially if you're long distance investing or trying to manage multiple properties by yourself. That's why we're here to tell you about Rent Ready. Rent Ready is a property management software that not only makes it easier to manage all your real estate deals from one platform, but they also have the best customer service support in the biz. They're an all-in-one app that lets you easily manage properties, collect rent, list units, screen tenants, sign leases, all from your phone or computer. Imagine all of your real estate doors right in your pocket. How awesome is that? The best part is it's so affordable, one flat price for everything. Unlimited properties, tenants, and support with a real live human. And I have to add in there, that's a new business model that not a lot of people are doing. There's like this freemium model where people say, hey, you can try this, but as soon as you grow, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. Or they kind of punish you when you get too many emails on your list or too many come. They aren't gonna punish you when you grow. They're not gonna charge you more when you get 10, 20, 30 rentals. They're gonna charge you the same when you have two or three as they will when you have 50 or 60. So you have a nice fixed cost, all software, all in one place. Check it out, Rent Ready, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com. And if that's not enough, Rent Ready is giving our listeners a special code you can use to get a whole year of Rent Ready for just $54. Use code R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R-50. That's Rockstar50. And sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. Again, R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code Rockstar50 to get Rent Ready for only $54. All right, and if you want to listen to more of that one, that first half was episode State of the Market 73. Next up, here's a section of State of the Market 73 Part 2 with David. There was so much info, and we went on for so long, we split up into two podcasts for you. Here's a bit of that one. When you look at San Francisco, more people left to go to the East Bay where they could get more house for less money. That's, that's, uh, That's obvious. In San Francisco, people left condos more than they left single family homes. That also makes sense. So what we've seen out of that little tier is the single family homes in San Francisco have roared back. They are selling very fast, very high. I was talking to one of my, uh, Johnny, one of my top buyers agents, and he told me, we have certain buyers that he's going to have to call and say, look, I just don't think we can work with you right now. I think you should look either in another city or not buy in San Francisco. They chased houses listed at 900,000 that sold for 1.6. That... 900 to 1.6, like whatever the percentage of that is, right? Like almost 100% increase, like 75, 80% increase in price is so illogical. You really can't make sense out of that. Like whatever the list price is just literally has nothing to do. It's like an auction, right? And we're just saying the starting bid is 900,000. Those are in single family homes that have the ability to like house hack. So if it's got a finished basement, but it's really nice, someone can rent out the basement. The condo market hasn't 
come back as strong, but it's not as weak as it was. It was really pathetic for a while. It was very hard to sell condos. Those are selling again, but they're just sitting there a lot longer. The single family homes have already come back. And I'm still telling people, like, I know that this is controversial stance that I'm taking. They're going to open up again. You'd have to be crazy to think that when New York City and San Francisco are back to what they were before, that everyone's like, yeah, I changed my mind. I just don't really like that environment. People that want to live in those places that have been flocking there for decades are going to go back. They're going to be strong again. Maybe some of the politicians there are kind of screwing things up by increasing taxes on people. And so a certain demographic might leave that area. But overall, people are going to go back to those spaces. And so, yeah, like you're seeing there's not a lot of people in San Francisco like there was, but it's not like houses are sitting there for 90 days not selling. They're still selling in 12 to 14 days or, or sooner most of the time. Yeah. I think that's it. It is a good now. People are realizing that um, and we're more mobile as a society and businesses like that. So you could actually move back to a city now easily and say, "Hey, if this happens again, I'll move out again." That's exactly right. I think if if I was going to if this was a bulls versus bears debate, my vote is I think the market is more likely to go up right now than not. You know, and so this would probably be the good summary at the end of today's article for me. You know, experts see little risk of the housing market's boom turning into a bubble, but that doesn't mean there's no reason to worry. They see little risk of a housing market crash, but instead new troubles from rising prices. That's kind of what that other article said. As prices go up, there's other things that that, that, that creates problems. Millennials are reaching peak home buying age, and now they're getting priced out of the market. Uh, lumber prices and accelerated construction would slow price inflation, but only somewhat. And I don't think lumber is going to go any cheaper unless they, you know, do some sort of a, a incentive, a stimulus to incentivize, incentivize that. In many ways, this market resembles the state of play in 2005 and 2006, which was the peak of a previous bubble that burst. But a few key differences separate today's market from that one 15 years ago. Oh my God, 15 years ago, I read. I definitely, that was such a traumatic time in my life that the, I can't believe that was 15 years ago. So I don't see the, the so the guys are interviewing Fed chairs. I don't see kind of financial stability concerns in the housing sector before it was built up on bad loans, before there, there wasn't an excess in, you know, months of inventory. Even during the peak, we got like two or three months of inventory, you know, when it was really, really hot market. Right now we're like less than a month of inventory in most places. Mm-hmm higher lumber prices on here. I don't see values going down at any point, says the chief economist at, at Redfin. You know, a lot of people, we, my hope would be that over time, housing builders can react to this demand and come up with more supply and workers will come back to work in that industry. It's kind of like saying like the housing problem isn't that it's going to crash. The housing problem is there isn't a solution to get prices back down. That's you know, a great, and, great point. All right, so that was part of State of the Market 73 Part 2 with David Green. Next up, State of the Market 74. This is the second best time to buy real estate is what Daniel Del Real said. So the this is a great interview with Daniel. Again, we go into the statistics of what's happening in real estate around the country and how that compares to what it's done in the last 20 years. So we don't have to be scared of housing prices because when we start to see those things changing, if we get all the trends that say it's about to crash, it still takes six, nine months, 12 months yeah. to have a change. And this chart validates it right here, Aaron. This is the this is the original, the list price to the sold, sold price to validate what you're saying, right? So yeah. in 05 and 06, you're still, the homes are still selling at 99% of list price. That's a healthy market, right? It's there, yeah. 99%. Buyers are stretch, sellers are stretching a bit more. They're getting pulled back by the market. And so we see the trend change right here is what Aaron's talking about. You're like, you make a change, 
you're like, okay, the trend's changing. You could pop off and sell some properties here. And all of a sudden, you start seeing 98% of the list price, 97% of the list price, and so on and so forth. It goes down to 95 and 90%. And you start seeing an adjustment of pricing. But I guess the, the important thing that Aaron says is if you keep up with the trends and you know your stats told, you will be able to see the shift as it comes. Now, you and I are pretty bullish on that, hey, we've still got some runway left on whatever is happening in this market. We're bullish on the idea that you got to work hard, though. Like people have to work hard. People that are giving up are, are, are losing out on opportunity. You got to play to win. You got to show up to win. Um, so we believe in that. But any extra tips for somebody to succeed? You know, it could be personal, it could be real estate, it could be anything. Yeah. I think, I think number one, you got to be fully engaged and you got to know what you're doing. You know, if you got clients that are trusting you to know all the numbers cold, you got to know them. Right. And, and, the, and they always say that the best time to buy real estate was 20 years ago. Yeah. The second best time to buy real estate is today. So time is going to solve all this. Like you and I, Aaron, we went back and forth on when corrections are going to happen. I get it. Like a correction might happen. It, it most likely will happen. There'll be turbulence back going 10, 20 years, 30 years from today with the dollar and everything else that's going on. But time solves a lot. So as long as you're buying, if you're an investor, you're buying a cash flowing fixed asset that you could that you could stomach any turbulence, then time is going to solve everything. That's why Aaron's buying. That's why I'm buying. That's why we're, we're using leverage. Time solves a lot if you have uh, the liquidity to do it. So you need to make sure that whatever you buy, if you're an investor, if it's a fixed asset, it's a cash flowing fixed asset, you have your reserve set up and you play it for the long term and you try to get your emotions out of it. I had a, we had, I heard Robert Kiyosaki talk once and, and uh, we were in a room full of investors. And he bought this, uh, he was very bullish in an area in Arizona. And, and uh, these guys, like they're all millionaires in this room. So they were giving them shit. They're like, hey, you said you'd never sold, you never lost money in real estate, but how about this center that you bought? You've been losing your ass off for five years, right? And, he's, and he looked at him in, in this, in, on stage and he says, have I sold that property yet? He's like, no, he's like, I haven't lost anything yet. I don't lose unless I have to sell. He, he, was, he had the liquidity to float that investment. And look at him now in Arizona. Everything is booming. He's the smartest guy in the world, right? Because he held that asset. So my advice would be cash flow, fixed assets. You got to know your numbers cold. And you got to know that investments mature over a long period of time. They become good investments. or good investments today become great investments over a long period of time. All right. If you like that one and you want to hear more from Daniel Del Real, go back and listen to State of the Market 74. Next up, episode 973. This was a really fun interview that I did with Ian Pruckner. Here's a few minutes of that one. You talk about these different levels of money and you know, the, the money is only a part of what Ian talks about with business and running that. But so much of what Ian's talking to out there is telling people how to just get the right attitude in life and how to go after life and how to think about money. But you talk about living in the lack of money place, which everyone's done. And then the second one you talked about was living in just enough where you have enough money to pay your bills, I almost think that's the worst place to be, period, because it's you, you people make just enough, they're afraid to take a risk, afraid to go bigger, afraid to go somewhere else. When you're not making enough, it's very clear on what the goal is. I want to be able to not struggle so much to eat. And then when you're making just enough where your bills are covered, but you're not getting all the extra stuff, what do you think about it? Do you think just enough is the worst? Or do you think that's the where it's toughest to change out of? Yeah, 100%, right? Because, because when you're in the land of just enough, you can finally breathe. And for most people, that's all they've ever aspired to. Is I, I remember, and, and 
just enough is two words, just and enough, right? And the word just, I think, is a bad word in our life. We need to eradicate it because it is a, it is a typography of, of mediocrity. It, it's, it's a descriptor. Right? If I just have this, if I just, and I would think that, like, if I could just make $40,000 a year, I'd be okay. Yeah. And we get to this just enough place and we finally settle in, right? We settle in and we think like, I don't have to run anymore. I finally can take a breath. But if we're not careful, we'll settle in a place where we were supposed to just be passing through. And this would be tough for some people to hear, but it really is a, a place of selfishness where it says, I'm good, but I don't care about the rest of y'all out there. I'm okay. Y'all figure it out for yourself. And what I've found about the people who live in the land of more than enough is money was really not their aim. Their aim was making a difference. Their aim was growing a business. Their, their goal was delivering a service to a lot of people that would help them. And the money was just the certificate of merit to prove that those transactions occurred, you know, and it really allows them to live out a bigger purpose that's beyond them. Yeah, we say so much of the same thing in real estate, right? When, when you guys are out serving your clients, if you're aiming to serve, if you're aiming to provide value, the money follows. Like sometimes it is about asking somebody, hey, will you give me the listing or hey, can I be your agent? But other times it's just provide value, provide value, provide value. And then they want you to be their agent. They want you to help with that. But this new thing that you're working on, you've pretty much like you've coached all sorts of people, but this is like your life's work in a in a masterclass is my outside looking in opinion. What is it really? And what's, what's the first lesson you're teaching with that? Uh, it's called the, the money mindset makeover. And what I found there in, in 15 years of business and dealing with literally tens of thousands of people who want to change their lives financially, who are good people, who are honest and hardworking, and just watching some who explode in 10 times their income, 20 times their income. I have some people that work with me, they're making 50 times what they were making before uh, we were working together. And then I watch people who just can't break through. They're just stuck where they are. They, no matter what they do, they can't seem to, to figure it out. And so what I found was true wealth starts in the mind, right? And if we're not thinking right about money, we're not going to get right with money. And so over the years, I just, I saw so many people who were limited by limited believing around money with false assumptions around money. Um, people who had a, had a dislike of, of money, they felt they had a negative relationship with it, right? And if you have a negative relationship with money, you won't ever have a positive experience with it. And so over time, I just, I saw this, I learned how to identify it, help people get processes and plans to fix that. And what I saw was over and over and over again, the people who were willing to look at their belief systems around them, challenge them and create better belief systems around money, all of them over time started having radically better results financially in their life. And it brought them a lot of financial stability, a lot of peace, a lot of options that they didn't have before. And so I put together this, this class, it's 40 lessons in the art of creating abundance because it really is an art. All right. And if you like that, you definitely need to go hear more of the money mindset makeover talk that we had. Ian is a brilliant, brilliant entrepreneur and so much of mindset is what he helps with everybody. So I definitely recommend going back and hearing more of that one. That was episode 973. Next up, here's episode 974, how any new agent can outsell industry veterans. This was a guy that had been listening to the podcast ever since he became an agent. He was so excited to get on. Taylor Tolbert. Here's a couple minutes of that one. 
I think for me, the biggest mindset coming into this, where because I'd come from corporate sales in the past, my mindset was, okay, I'm just going to go into this expecting to never sell a home and never make any money and just serve people the absolute best that I can. And it worked. I mean, everybody that I've worked with and I've, I've kept that mindset, everybody really appreciates the extra level of attention that I give to them, the service I give, the knowledge, the going the extra mile. And the money takes care of itself. I, I always tell other new agents, because I've had new agents reach out to me for a little bit of mentorship. And it's like, guys, this is not a job. This is a career. And you're literally handling the most expensive thing someone's ever going to buy and the biggest investment of their life. And it's where they're going to build a family and build a life. So you have to take it seriously. If you start looking at people like numbers on a spreadsheet, you're going to lose. You really need to care about what you're doing and take care of your clients. So I think that's the way to, the way you win in real estate from now on, because there's all the information's at our fingertips. Let's be real here. If somebody wants to find a house, they can find it on their own. They don't need a realtor um, to find them a home. They can do that. They need a realtor who's going to take care of them, put their needs first and be nice and professional about it, make it an enjoyable process. Um, and I think just, really going into it is not not thinking about commissions at all. It's all about service and helping your clients. I think that's the way to win. Yeah. One of your secret weapons that you talked about before the show was kind of your follow-up and follow-through and the, you know, those examples. If you were going to give someone some advice about how you do that or, or what's, you know, any techniques on follow-up and follow-through, what would you say? I would tell people that you had the money and the deals and all the relationships and everything in this business that you want is in the follow-up. It, you know, you can call one person once or twice or three times and you're not going to get through to them. But on that fifth, sixth, seventh call or email or postcard or whatever it is, that's when you start to set yourself apart from the rest and say, oh, this person is for real. Let me see what he has to say. Because we all get phone calls, right? Where somebody leaves a voicemail, you delete it. You need to be that fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth call um, and keep following up. But I think the biggest thing, and I learned this from Ryan Serhan and in his book, Selling Like Serhan um, and on the show and everything, I love that he says about follow through. You always, always, always have to do what you say you're going to do 100% of the time. There is no leeway for that. I think if you say you're going to do something like, hey, yeah, I'll get back to you on that comp and you don't, at least with me, when I buy things, if you're a salesperson, you lose credibility with me. I think that when you say, oh yeah, I'll get back to you with some comps or hey, I'll check on that. And you always, always, always do that, especially in the beginning of that real estate relationship. They're like, oh, wow, he does everything he says he's going to do. He's very serious. He's a professional. Let's stay with him. And you give them no reason to go look at other realtors. And I think that that's a good trait to have, not just in business, but in life, doing what you're saying you're going to do you know, for your, friend, for your friends, for your family, but for yourself, especially. I think for me, I'm careful with what I tell people I'm going to do because I always do it. Um, and I just know that making that impact right up front with people, it's huge. So I would always say follow up and follow through. That was a couple minutes of my interview with Taylor Tolbert, episode 974. I love getting to interview him. I always love it when guys come on the podcast that used to be listeners. All right, and our last one of May was State of the Market 75. This was a surreal interview for me. I got to interview Sean O'Toole, the founder of Foreclosure Radar and Property Radar. You know, when I first got into buying and selling out, I started real estate as a home builder. And then uh, foreclosures happened, home building crashed, and I got into the foreclosure market. Well, Every house that I bought, I used software called Foreclosure Radar, and Sean O'Toole was the guy that developed it. During this interview, he talks about so many predictions. He predicted the top of the market back in 05. He predicted the crash. He predicted what would happen during events like coronavirus years ago, what would happen to interest rates. Brilliant, brilliant dude. Go listen to a few minutes of this one. As I just went and looked at a bunch of the postings that were in Dallas County in May of last year, I was expecting a bunch of them would be sold. 
Like, hey, they were in default. They had equity. It's this rocking market this year. Those would already be sold to third party and not be coming back. But most of the ones in Dallas have not sold yet. So most of the ones that were posted in May and June last year are still out there, still owned by the person that was in default before that happened. Have you looked at any of the stats um, in California around that? Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that like on that shadow inventory thing and, and comparing back to those other time periods you were thinking about, a big difference is right now prices have been, you know, ramping up, right? So as those prices come up, people get more options. And, you know, so that is going to erode some of that. And I think that's why that number isn't going to be what we think it is because of what's happened with prices and what's happened with equity, right? We've had incredible growth in equity as well. So, you know, I think one thing to look at there is, you know, one, people haven't, they have options now because they have equity, but thanks to the foreclosure moratoriums, they can sit in their house (laughs) and enjoy it rent-free and, and then when it does come time that, okay, the moratoriums are lifted, et cetera, they still have that option to sell, yeah. right? So, um, you know, that combo is not a great combo for, you know, really large foreclosures. Are we going to, are there going to be people who, you know, lost their businesses and the banks aren't going to give a break? Absolutely. I do think we're going to see a rebound in foreclosures, but it may not add up even to be, the total of what would have normally happened over this period of time. Yeah, I think I agree. I think that I think that we will probably see a spike of a few months. Um, that's you know maybe double or triple our normal posting count. Maybe it's that maybe we're getting ten thousand a month in postings or something like that. But at the beginning, I thought there would definitely be a landfall. Years ago, when there was a hurricane in Texas, they didn't do any auctions for three months down in the Houston area. The first month that came back, they posted them all for auction in, in that one month. So we saw this giant spike. They went from yeah. you know no postings a month, no posts to twenty seven hundred, and the average was nine hundred a month. So the so I was picturing okay, Texas will do the same thing they did before. But again, we learned from the past. I think a lot of the lenders now are trying to, if they do have any control over it, the now that prices have gone so far up, do you think they're going to? I'm guessing they're going to work with buyers more. You know, even like they don't have a reason to foreclose right now for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I think the other piece that's that's important to understand that's different from 2008, right? Like pre-September of 2008, banks were required by regulators and I'm not blaming regulators per se for the foreclosure crisis. Lots went into it, right? Back to politicians with Graham Leach, Bliley, et cetera. But, um, but regulators required lenders to get bad assets off their books you know, as timely as possible, right? So I've got this big book reference book on my desk of, you know, the foreclosure timelines for every state. And if you were, uh, uh, you know, handling the bad loans at your bank, your job was to follow those guidelines as closely as possible, right? And you were held accountable by your managers and by the regulators themselves to yeah. do that and get that cleaned up. And that's how we ended up with such a tsunami of inventory on the market. Then once it's on the market, you're required to sell it at whatever price it will sell for. And so you keep dropping the price and dropping the price till it sells. And it doesn't matter if that price is zero. That's your job. You have to sell that asset at whatever price you can get. And around September of 08 and into 09, right, they started to go, wait a second, this is probably a bad plan. And... And you saw this at the state level and at the national level of, 
hey, let's force these lenders to try to keep these people in their homes. Let's force them to give them, you know, forbearance agreements and loan modifications and have workout sessions and all this stuff. And that's still the regulatory environment we're in today. It's how do we keep people in their homes, not how do we get bad assets off the books? That's a massive difference. And I don't think we will ever see a wave of inventory from foreclosures like we saw then. And not that we won't see more foreclosures. I do think we will see more as we just talked about, but not that kind of wave. All right. And if you like that one, remember, go back and listen to the rest of State of the Market 75. And, and where Sean's big statement of that one was, this is nothing like the last foreclosure crisis that we saw. State of the Market 75 with Property Radar's Sean O'Toole. And that was it. That quick little episode, that quick episode where you got to hear a little bit of everyone that we interviewed in May. I hope that you relearned some stuff. If you already listened to all of them, I hope it was a great review. And if you haven't listened to all of them, I hope now you heard a couple that you decide you had to go back to and listen again. As always, Real Estate Rockstars, thank you for listening. Thank you for being there. If you're an agent and you want to get on the show, I want you to reach out to me. If you're doing lots of volume and you've got a secret, I don't want you sitting back saying, hey, I, I, I don't have anything to share. I love it when people reach out. They're self-conscious about do they have something to share. I guarantee if you are successful in real estate right now, you know secrets and tips and tricks that will help the rest of our listeners. So please reach out. Let's get you on here. Real Estate Rockstars, thanks for listening. All right, Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.